This is something that actually happens. And when we are pressed and crushed to the point where we do not have the words to speak, be encouraged because the Spirit will speak on our behalf. So let's just look one more time at the verse because this this really needs to be at our forefront this morning. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So I always like to do this because there are tons of people that love God's word and there are tons of God's people that like to say, oh, well, this is the verse that I lean on. And if you look at the context, we really shouldn't be leaning on it in that way. So some have taken this verse to mean that prayer isn't important since the Spirit himself intercedes. So it's kind of like the kid. You say, go and sweep the floor. And he says, why? Just going to get dirty again anyway. Why have two people do the same thing? So there are people who have actually said, why should I bother spending a lot of time in prayer when the Spirit himself intercedes and prays for me? I can't come up with the words. The Spirit's doing it anyway. So why should I even bother? Well, we only look at how specific this is because it's very, very specific. So I'm going to trim this right down. Let's just look at Romans 8.26. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So there are three conditions here that we all need to look at. One, I want to notice the conditions. The first one is likewise. Okay, so Paul was just saying something. Remember, just because we have sermons in blocks doesn't mean that we've pulled this scripture out of the context. It's still there. It's still within what Paul was already discussing. It's still in the same discussion. So likewise is connected to the prior verses. We'll get to that in just a second. The second thing says the Spirit helps, all right? It's, it's, it's not that the Spirit just takes over and we can just stop praying because we don't need to worry about it because the Spirit intercedes for us. It's not what it says. It says the Spirit helps. But notice the third condition. This is so important. In our, what's that word? Weakness. In our weakness. So Paul is building on his last thought. And his last thought that he was discussing with us was about the Christian and suffering the Christian and suffering. So this is the thought that he's been building on for the past few verses, and we were into that a little bit last week with talking about adoption. This is still what he's talking about. So Paul was talking about the Christian's relationship to suffering and the work of the Spirit as we were together last time. So Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So he said that uh, this is specifically about suffering. So in the Christian life, we will suffer. So in the New Testament, this is very, very interesting. Suffering is spoken of 65 times. So all those people that are like, boy, as soon as you become a Christian, Christian life gets easy. Eh. Suffering is spoken of 65 times. 40 times in the epistles. So remember, we're speaking of suffering in the book of Acts and in the Gospels. This is an actual account of people's sufferings. As we move into the epistles, these guys start talking to us about our suffering. Let's just look at a couple of those verses. 
Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also, what's it say? Suffer for his sake. Suffer for his sake. Second Thessalonians 1.5 This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also, what's it say? Suffering. 2 Timothy 2.3, an admonition to this young man, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So the truth is, throughout Christian history, Christians are no strangers to suffering. It's something that just is in our lives simply because we identify with Christ. We will suffer. But we have to be careful to understand what sufferings are being spoken of here. So, this is the problem that we have. We always believe that we're being persecuted for being a Christian, even when sometimes it's just our own fault. We're just experiencing the consequences of our decisions. And we're like, no, 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 I'm being persecuted now for being a Christian. I remember years ago being in a Bible study. It was a prayer meeting and a Bible study. We were in the prayer meeting, and we're all gathered together praying, and all of a sudden this woman bursts through the door. Gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. I need you to pray for me right now. I said, okay, what's going on? She said, I'm being persecuted for being a Christian. And immediately we're all like, we're ready for this. We're ready to pray for this. What's happening? I was late to work three times, and now they want to fire me. So, oh, really? Because you're a Christian? They were mad at you? I said, well, I was late three times, and I parked my car in the wrong place, and then I told them that this was ridiculous. They were just persecuting me because I was a Christian, and then they said, well, you shouldn't be sharing your faith with us in this way. So they told me that I was fired. So all of us are like, uh, we need to pray about something different now. This woman believed that because she was a Christian, by virtue of her Christianity, every single hard thing that came her way, be it her decision or someone else's choices, was her suffering because she's a Christian. And that's not the case. We all need to be very clear that the sufferings that come to us, though, yes, we may be suffering, though, yes, we may be hurting, are not always the sufferings that are being spoken of in the Bible. So what are these sufferings? And it's always suffering for the sake of Christ. So not suffering because, here's some ideas, you don't like your job. I really hate my job. It's so hard and everyone's mean to me and I'm suffering because I'm a Christian. Maybe, but probably not. All God's people said, probably not, right? So uh, how about when your car isn't running right? I am I have under persecution of Satan. He's trying to keep me from getting to work. No, it may just be your car's just not running right, all right? Some other things that people are being persecuted for. You're arguing with a friend. I'm arguing with a friend and they won't listen to me or that's not suffering specifically for the sake of Christ, unless it is. And lastly, just people are unhappy with their current situations. I know lots of people that are in this boat. You're suffering simply because you don't like your circumstances. You don't like what you're involved in. You don't like what's coming your way. So automatically we say, oh, I'm suffering. I am a Christian, and here in this place, I am suffering. Is that what suffering is in the Bible? No. Come on. That's not the suffering that's being spoken of. Something weird was happening there. 
That's not suffering. It's always suffering for the sake of Christ. Specifically, this is so important, specifically for the sake of Christ. All right, so it's not like, well, I'm a Christian and I'm suffering, so I'm a suffering Christian. Yeah, you are, but you're not suffering for the sake of Christ. So the question that we all ought to ask is, why does the Spirit help in prayer? Why does this happen? Why would the Spirit need to help us? Well, the Spirit helps us specifically from this passage because we suffer for Jesus' sake. Not because I don't like my car, or not because my boss was mean to me, you know, not because I showed up late three times and now they want to fire me. No, we are specifically suffering for Jesus' sake. So think of any number of the martyrs, and, uh, and you can picture in your head what it looks like to suffer for Jesus' sake. So we also need to understand, very importantly, how the Spirit helps. All right, so we already know why. We need to know how the Spirit helps. So it says here in the verse, And he who searches hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God. So how does the Spirit help us? By interceding. The Spirit breaks in and intercedes for us. Carries our prayers to God. This is vitally important. If any of you, like myself, obviously, because this is the third sermon, I think in a row with Lord of the Rings in it, remembers um, carrying the burden. It's the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and uh, there's Samwise Gamgee, and he is heading up the mountain, Mount Doom. Him and, and uh, Frodo are finally going to get up to the top and finally going to destroy this cursed ring. Finally going to end this evil reign. And Frodo stumbles and falls to the ground. And uh, Samwise picks him up and he says, Come, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you and it as well. So up you get. Come on, Mr. Frodo, dear. Sam will give you a ride. Just tell him where to go and he'll go. This is the picture of what the Spirit does for us. We are tired. We are weak. We are beaten up. We are worn down. The Spirit intercedes for us and carries our prayers to God. The Spirit prays to the Father for us. Now remember, this is not all the time, right? When is it that the Spirit does this? Well, look at the verse. The verse says specifically, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, so we have to be weak, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, so it's when we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the truth is, the Spirit intercedes when we are so afflicted that we can't put words together in prayer. When you are down on your knees and you're kneeling, you don't even know what to say. Dear Heavenly Father, silence. And we've all been there. We've all been in this place where we don't know what to pray. This is when the suffering is so great. It's so drawing your attention away. You are suffering in such a way because of Christ's name. You can't even think of what to say. So the Spirit prays for us. And just notice how. With groanings too deep for words. So interestingly enough, this word groanings, it's used twice in the whole Bible. You just read one of them. So interesting fact, next time you're talking to someone about the Bible and you're like, hey, how many times is groanings in the Bible? 
I know both of them. The second time, interestingly enough, is in the Old Testament. It's in Exodus 2.23. Look at the picture here. You all remember this. The taskmasters are over Israel. And it says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. It's literally a groaning. It's literally, there are no words left. The Spirit goes and takes this to the Father for us. When you suffer and you cannot pull the words together, the Spirit intercedes on your behalf. And that's amazing. So when you are down and you are honestly being persecuted because you are a Christian, specifically because you are a Christian, this is happening in the States today. All right, so this isn't just somewhere, somehow, someplace. This is happening here in the States today. This morning, Reverend John MacArthur may go to jail because he's a Christian and because he's listening to the Bible instead of the government. That is Christian persecution. He is being persecuted for Christ's sake. We need to pray for him. This is something that actually happens. And when we are pressed and crushed to the point where we do not have the words to speak, be encouraged because the Spirit will speak on our behalf. And lastly, we must understand what the Spirit is doing. This is so vitally important. Because if we don't understand why, when, and what the Spirit is doing, we are going to be very, very flawed in our thinking. And we're going to try to do too many things on our own without his help. So, Look what it says here one more time. And, this, and he who searches hearts knows what the mind, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So the Spirit is searching our hearts and then praying for us according to God's will. So what exactly does that mean? What does it mean? It means the Spirit knows the true conditions of our lives. So stop there. You're suffering and you think that it's because you're a Christian and it's just simply because of error on our part or you know we're just uh, complaining or it does hurt but it's not because we're a Christian. The Spirit knows the condition of our hearts. He's searching our hearts. So it's not, like the, it's not like the Spirit's just interceding and taking every single prayer that we send up or we can't muster together up to God. The Spirit is praying specifically for times when we are suffering and searches the true condition of our lives and how it is affecting us because he's searching our hearts. Because nothing is hidden from him. Why? Because he resides in the saints. In this building, there are security cameras. They are looking in this building. When you leave this building, you are no longer under the surveillance of security cameras. Why? Because they can't see you. Right? So if anyone busts into the building in the middle of the night, starts ripping our flags apart or tearing down the cross or, or ripping out pews, we'll know who did it. We'll know when they did it and when they unplugged the cameras. Right? So as long as it's happening in this building, you're seen. Right? But when we leave this building, we're no longer under that surveillance. Spirit's different. The Spirit is surveilling our hearts all the time because He dwells inside every believer. 
So he knows the intentions of our heart because he's searching these things out. He is looking inside us. He gets to see the entire book as it's being written. As scary as that is for us to think about, think about that for a second, every single thought he checks out. Whoa. Every single intent, every intention he sees, he knows. When we're suffering, he sees how we're suffering, and he knows Nothing's hidden from him because he resides within the saints. And what is the Spirit doing? Well, what's the verse say? It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. He works all things together for good. That's what he's doing. And, again, this is one of those very misunderstood verses. There are some people that have become they've come to call these verses trinket verses. Why? Because you all have a keychain or a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a paperweight or an ink pen that says somewhere on it, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we have this, and it's on this, and on this, and on this, and on this, and all of a sudden, it doesn't have very much meaning to us, because we're no longer looking at what the verse says when we're clicking and and writing down on our checkbook who it's going out to. We're no longer looking at what our own t-shirt says and trying to let that truth sink in, because it's all over the place, so now we misunderstand it, because we've applied it in all these areas. We think, okay, well now, because God means good for all those called according to his purpose, our team has to win the basketball game because they're my team. My car cannot die on the way to work because it's my car, because I'm a Christian. I've been called according to his purpose. So because that's part of all things, this has to work out for me. It has to work for good. But it doesn't mean all things at all times. And this is the reason why if this verse was rightly understood, it would no longer be on any ink pens or coffee mugs or t-shirts or paperweights, bumper stickers, you name it, there it is. Because we like to give the idea of a wonderful, warm, beautiful Christian life at all times, where all things are always working together for good at all times. Yes, this is good too, this is good too. But this verse, rightly understood, is within the context of suffering. And when we pull it out of its context, it loses its meaning, it loses its power, and we're in trouble. Now, there are people throughout Christian history who have leaned in hard on this verse at different times, and they found encouragement there, and I would not say, uh, hey, how terrible of you to misunderstand this verse and to receive encouragement. God sends his word out, and it does not return to him void, however he wants to use it. But with suffering, we need to specifically understand what this verse means. And without the context of suffering, this verse really loses its edges. Acts seven fifty four through 58. This is a really, really scary picture. So it almost seems like we're kind of going backwards in the book of Acts as a church, as not a church, but as the church. Maybe it's a church too. As the church in the book of Acts, they were staying in Jerusalem. They were hanging out there. They waited the promised Holy Spirit, and then they were supposed to go, but they didn't. Instead, they decided that they were going to hang out and wait. Problem is, Christ told them to wait for the promise and then go. 
Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, but they weren't doing it. Well, Acts 7 changes everything. See, up, up into Acts 7, they're ministering in Jerusalem. They're ministering there. People are getting saved, but they still aren't leaving. Something has to happen, and something does in the end of Acts 7. This young man, full of the Spirit, made one of the first deacons ever in the Bible, and this man is stoned to death for his faith. He's martyred. He is the first martyr in human history. First martyr in Christian history. He is the first guy that dies for his faith. And this is pretty scary. He stands up and shares the gospel with the people that are surrounding him, and their response to it is pick up stones and kill him. First Christian killed for his faith. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. Why? Because he says, you killed him. See, not only does he say that Christ died, everybody's like, yeah, he did. You killed him. All of a sudden, he has no friends. He's honest. He tells the truth. They were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. This is suffering. Exodus 50, 18 through 20. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The path that led Joseph to say these words was not easy. All right, so he was not in a megachurch. He was not, you know, some great and grand guy that was, you know, dishing out all these, all these orders and, you know, helping create these praise CDs. You know, it wasn't like the, the guy that's walking around with his I Love Jesus t-shirt and his coffee mug and he's constantly hanging out at the cafe or at the coffee bar that's in the church. This guy went through some serious suffering, accusation after accusation, thrown into prison, thrown into a pit. This guy was accused. This guy was in trouble, and he ends up ruling Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. So it's not with ease that these words fall out of his mouth. It's not like he just was born and lived a really good, comfortable Western world life and then was able to say, uh, you know, God meant these things for good. He literally was looking with a bird's eye at his circumstances and saw the suffering that he went through and saw what God's plan was in the end. Though Stephen was being stoned to death, he wanted those that were stoning him to be forgiven. See, if you're a Christian, no matter what you're going through, no matter the degree of suffering, he's working all things together for good. But it's within the context of suffering. And when you suffered the worst for being a Christian, 
and people are honestly running your name through the ground because you're a Christian, or people are denying you entry into a position because you're a Christian, or people are coming at your family with all kinds of slander because you're a Christian, when it is for the sake of Christ. Understand this, even in that moment when things could not get any harder, at least in our perspective, he's working all things together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And all of a sudden, this verse has some serious truth for us. It's very weighty. It has the weight of glory, the weight of heaven upon it, because now we understand that when we go through suffering, as Christ promised that we would, all things, no matter what's coming at us, are not out of his hands, because he is totally and completely sovereign. Is he allowing it? Yes. Is he using it? Yes. So friends, no matter how you're suffering today, understand this. If you're suffering for the name of Jesus, it is not in vain. It's not going to be wasted. All things are being worked together for good. I want you to think for just a second. Put yourself in Stephen's place. As the first stone hits his head, and he falls to his knees. And it's just rapid fire. People just with hate and vengeance and wanting him dead. Put yourself in his place for just a second. Now I want you to think about where you sit today. We can sit here and use Stephen as an example. We can sit here and look to the account of Stephen and say, Wow, look what God did there. God used Stephen's death for good in your life and my life, even this morning. We have no idea how he will use what's in front of us, but we do know this. This is the promise. 